Father, just as in times of old, when you would sit in Capernaum and you would deliver a message after you were asked to read from Isaiah and the people just listened, we wish to stand around as you sit and teach us what your word has to say. We have so many opinions, so many desires that are contrary to yours. And we are powerless to change those, but you can. We ask that as we are in your word, you would make that transformation. That you would work within us and help us, Lord, to resist the flesh and live and walk in the spirit. So, Father, as we go through your word, please empower us, enlighten us, instruct us. May we gain knowledge and wisdom through it. In Jesus' name. In the book of Acts, when we started, chapter 1 dealt with Jesus being taken up to heaven. And Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And we know that Peter addressed the crowd. And as he addressed the crowd, 3,000 people got saved. And it talks about the devotion of the believers, the four things that they devoted themselves to. And after that, we had the blind, or excuse me, the lame man who had been lame since birth, 40 years, and he was healed at the gate beautiful. Now, just get it in your mind, the pictures that I showed you last week. They walked through the gate beautiful, Peter and John did, and they saw him either right in front or right outside, inside the gate. We don't know exactly where. It seems like he was probably right in front of the gate. And he was just holding a hand out, asking for alms, asking for money. And Peter and John stopped and looked right at him, And they said, silver and gold, I'm going to give you King James, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I given to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he grabbed him by the hand and he pulled him up and the man was just ecstatic. Now, as they went through the gate, they probably turned left. It would be this way and that's south uh, on the Temple Mount. And they went into the colonnade, Solomon's colonnade. Remember, it's not Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was at the end and it was all on the top. Solomon's colonnade, there was at least two rows of columns, and then behind that there was a space, so there was a lot of room, and there'd be a lot of people in there, especially if it was a sunny day. And at that particular point, the people started running over because the man who was healed started jumping up and down, just exclaiming how wonderful it was and how good God was. And remember, he's holding on to Peter and John as he's walking, because he's never walked before, he has to learn how to walk. And as the people come over, they start pointing to Peter and John. What is this that you men have done? Probably was one of the questions. And others would say, they healed this man. And Peter retorted and said, this is not us. This is not because we are more holy than somebody else, that we are more devoted than somebody else. But it was by faith in Jesus Christ that he was healed. And he says, you should not be surprised or astonished at this. And they all would have been astonished at such a miracle that had taken place. And so we're going to pick it up. We left off in verse 18 last time. I'm going to pick it up in verse 16 just to give it a little context here. In Acts chapter 3, it says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and you know made strong, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you 
can all see. And I like this. Whenever Jesus was here or his disciples are going around, there was never a partial healing. It was always a full healing. Whatever ailment or malady that person possessed, it was completely healed. And it was by the faith in God and the power of God that that we are healed and we are saved. Verse 17 says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that the Christ would suffer. Now, this is one of the aspects of uh, the Bible. You have heard me say before that I would not believe the Bible except for one thing, and it's that it's prophetic. Prophecies are given to us, and those prophecies are spoken in this particular case Isaiah 800 years before the birth of Jesus, the Psalms 1,000 years, I think it's 1,050 years before Jesus was born. And it describes things that Jesus would go through. And if you're taking notes, writing it down somewhere, just remember Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. And I will read you some excerpts from those. And you'll be able to see that this is directly referring to Jesus. It is prophetic. It was written hundreds of years before Jesus would come upon the earth. In verse 1 of chapter 53, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his his appearance that we should desire him. It's like he was not a Hollywood celebrity. He would look like an average individual, the most average person that you could find. And all the pictures that we have of Jesus and all the movies and everything, Jesus has long hair. Remember, I've told you before, he would not have had long hair. He would have had short hair. It was a shame and a disgrace for a man to have long hair during the time of Jesus. And Paul deals with that in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so you wouldn't look at him and say, wow, look at this guy. He's so handsome. And he wasn't. He was probably average height. He could have been 5'6", 5'7", with the people back in that time. And he would have had a beard of some kind. The beard probably was dark. Uh, Not like that one picture of Jesus that uh, some Irish artist uh, um, produced where he's kind of looking up and the sun's coming down on him. He has this flowing red hair and this little scraggly beard. I think he probably had a full beard. Have you seen the people from the Middle East? It's like they have to shave in the morning and shave at noon and shave in the evening. And so that that beard would have been thick and full and he would have probably been a shorter individual. And he's taken on this body and this body he's going to have forever. And I don't know if the characteristics, except for being an eternal body as opposed to being an earthly body, how much he'll change his physical features as far as the way he looks and his height. I I don't know that any of that will change. But we know people would not have looked at him and said, what a handsome guy, like King Saul. King Saul was a head and shoulders above everybody. He was a man's man is who he was. But Jesus, he came lowly. Now it says in verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet he considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And verse 7, 
of chapter 53, it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In verse 9, says, He was assigned to the grave, or a grave, with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had not, or though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. In verse 10 says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So that's Isaiah 53. And you can tell this is Jesus going to the cross. He did not make a case for himself to be rescued from the cross. Psalm 22 says in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, those are the words of Jesus on the cross. Why are you so far from me or from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. In verse 6 through 8, it says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Of course, those were the leaders of the Jews that actually said that. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. In verse 14 through 18, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. If you would be crucified, your bones in your shoulders, they would come out of joint. So as he was hanging on the cross, that was a separation that was there. And of course, his knees were bent a little bit and tried to push up to breathe. And we know that through crucifixion, you die by asphyxiation and a few other complications that are there. He says in verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, dogs being those who are pagans or unbelievers. A band of evil men has, has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. In, in other words, they're not broken. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Now, those are just two sections in the Old Testament that deal with the suffering servant or the Messiah that he would have to die, that he would go into the grave and be raised again from the grave. Of course, we know that that is the prophet Jonah that deals with that. Now, digressing just a little bit here in verse 17, says, Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. This idea of ignorance, they thought Jesus, or did they think Jesus was guilty or not of the offenses that were being brought against him? If you recall, he went before Pilate, he went before Caiaphas and Herod, and they just took him everywhere, and he did not respond to the charges that were being brought against him. Now, were the people ignorant? Did they just not know? The word ignorant, guess what's in it? Ignore. They ignored the information. If you ask me, did the leaders of the Jews know who he was? I think they did. And I think that they were so offended, and scripture says that, and I'll take you to those scriptures. They were so offended, even though he was the Messiah, they would have nothing to do with him, and they wanted to kill him because they were insulted. That's why they killed him. That was their motivation. Two scriptures that deal with this. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 12, it says, Then the disciples came to him, 
Jesus and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? So they were, they were offended, like, oh, you've hurt me. And, and that's really reiterated in Luke chapter 11, verse 45. It says, one of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. In other words, you injure us when you tell us these things. Remember, Jesus was going, woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes. And the guy comes and says, well, you've offended us. Now, this idea of offending. I just saw a recent clip of uh, Jordan Peterson. He was talking about uh, that young lady who had become a man and who had a full mastectomy, mastectomy, and she's on the Umbrella Factory, the Ellen Page, remember her? And he was asked the question, he said, or the question was, don't, don't you feel you have offended many people by coming out and saying that Ellen Page had made a mistake and you should not have done that? And he said, well, let's see. You have somebody who's had a double mastectomy. It was plastered all over the media. It was on Instagram and Facebook, and they showed her full body without the shirt on like she had become a man. And what he said was, imagine if one girl sees that and has a mastectomy and takes these hormones for uh, this hormone replacement therapy and does all of that, is it not worth offending her? That's if it's just one person who does that and makes a mistake. Well, it's going to be more than one. She had over a million views on that. It's probably going to be a hundred or a thousand. And so he said, I will risk offending her to save the others. And this is the society we live in. We can't offend anybody. Well, today, I'm probably going to offend. And now, it's not by design. It's just because I give the word. You know, the, those people who are not saved, the scripture says the gospel is offensive to them. That we get so easily offended by what takes place, and, and yet that offense... Usually, it can be used for something good in our lives if we recognize it's an offense, do a self-reflection and say, is this offense really directed towards me something that I need to pay attention to or is it just because I'm being narcissistic and I don't want to hear anything that goes against what I believe? This was the case of the Pharisees. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to give it to you by memory. There was two guys. They were growing up in this small village and in this small village... Uh, the one friend went away and he became a scholar. And he was pretty well-to-do and he decided one day to come back after years and visit his friend that he grew up with in the village. So he asked for directions once he got to the village where he might be living and he went to his house and it wasn't really a house, it was a hut. And inside the hut was not only his friend but his two younger brothers as well. And he saw that they were in dire straits. They were all three real thin. They, they just didn't have the wherewithal to make an income. And they saw that he was there and he, he was so worried that he would impose upon them. He said, I'm going to go back and stay in town. And they insisted, his friend insisted that he stay in the hut with them and they would get him something to eat. In order to get something to eat, what the two younger brothers did is they went out to a legume tree and they took some of the legumes and they went into town and they purchased 
some food with the money that they got for the legumes. They came back and they were only able to purchase enough for two people to eat. One of the younger brothers said, well, you know, I'm fasting before the Lord and I I don't want to uh, receive anything. So I'm just going to fast tonight. I'm not going to eat. And the other younger brother said, I have a stomach issue, so I'm not going to eat. And they were being gracious. They wanted the guests to have the food along with the scholar's friend that was there. And so they fixed it up. It was barely enough for two people. And the scholar was greatly disturbed. And he went to sleep in the hut with the other guys. And he got up in the middle of the night. And he went out and took an axe and cut down the legume tree. And then he left. And he left for a couple of years. He decided to go back one day. And he went to the village and he knew that he might even be beaten for what he did, cutting down that legume tree. Because that's the only thing that they had for income was to take some of those legumes and go to the village and sell those and get some income and buy some food. And so when he came back, he asked if that was the same place and they said yes. So he went to the place where the hut was and to his surprise, he saw a house. A house was there. And he couldn't believe what he saw. It might be the wrong address. So he knocked on the door and his friend answered the door, fell at his feet and thanked him for cutting down the legume tree. And he told the scholar, I was so offended at what you did, I wanted to take your life. But it worked out for our good because I recognized that I was the one offended and I wasn't willing to work. But because you cut that down, myself and my brothers, we had to figure out a way to get some income and survive. And so his offense worked for his good and see sometimes an offense that comes along it works for our good and we need to look at it like that now sometimes it doesn't it just causes all those feelings on the inside the anger which is there I'm going to tell you another story this is a true story I read the article about it there was a, a highway and I forget which state it was but it was a two lane highway separated by a median to another two lane going the opposite direction and there was actually in a video associated with this. The man driving in the car in the fast lane was 72 years old and he was going at a slower pace and he was backing up traffic for miles. Somebody got behind him in a road rage incident and was just ticked. Highly technical term, he was ticked. And so he pulled alongside the other car and he got real close to it which caused the 72-year-old two-year-old man to swerve and go into the wide median. It was a wide median, maybe 25 yards or so. He went all the way across the median and he smashed into a semi, killing him instantly. The person in the white SUV just kept on going, did not even stop whatsoever and they never found out who he was and all this was recorded on a dash cam from a semi truck and you could see the whole thing and you just felt for the guy and who was this road rager who was out there now if that was your father or if that was your grandfather and you saw that happen what would you want to take place against that guy you would want justice wouldn't you Now, I want you to hold on to that. I'm going to go back to that story in a minute. 
But I would want justice if that was my grandfather or my father. And I digress now to the chief priests and the leaders. They were offended. They were offended because Jesus was taunting them, calling them snakes, you snakes, you whitewashed tombs. And he just laid into them and they couldn't handle it. Did they know of the miracles that Jesus did? Absolutely. Did they listen to his words? Absolutely. They would send people out, listen to what he had to say. They went back. They told them, they told the chief priests, the leaders, what had taken place. So they knew, they knew exactly who Jesus was according to the scriptures, but they were going to have none of it because they were so offended. We got to kill this guy because he injured us. He insulted us. Now, they didn't seem to care at all that Jesus was the Messiah. They simply refused to maintain the knowledge of the truth and they chose to ignore it, which is the word ignorance. Ignorance, for most of us, it just means that you don't know. No, they knew. They just ignored what the information was. And ignored is the verb and ignorance is the noun, but they both mean the same thing. It means they discounted, disregarded, and snubbed the truth. They didn't want it, even though I'm sure they knew it was true. Jesus had to die. So the lesson here is, do not fail to do right just because you were offended. Well, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, they didn't do what was right because of their offense. Now, my job here is, uh, on some occasions, to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. Those people who are comfortable in what they believe and they hold to, they say, you know, I'm not going to change my mind on this. I'm going to stay along this course. I, I don't want my beliefs and my uh, dearly held truths to be messed with in any way because it, it changes things, it modifies things in their world. Now, if I haven't brought an offense yet, give me a chance. Right. Now, what is Tuesday? It's election day. I, I recently got a letter from somebody in East County here, seems eloquently qualified. Uh, he's saying, you know, if you ever go somewhere, I'm, I'd be happy to fill in. And he's uh, done some shows on K-Praise, and um, he got ordained through... Uh, Pastor Jeremiah over there at Shadow Mountain. It seems like everything is great. And in his letter, he said, I, I can deliver whatever message you would like, and, and, but not the political, in parentheses, unless you want me to. He, he said that in the letter. And I'm going, oh, okay. He's not afraid to deal with the political issues. Now, I want to tell you, all politics is moral. All of it. And so if somebody says, oh, you're just being political, no. You're being moral. I, I was watching, I always try to keep up on the culture and the news which is out there. And I was watching some clips from MSNBC. Now, having a biblical worldview, it was hard to watch it. I would watch it and listen to it and I would wince. Oh, no, that is just, that's just not right. You know, according to the biblical worldview. If you don't have a biblical worldview, people would be completely comfortable with it. But I have a biblical worldview. Now, Tuesday is also something big. Quote, if you remember uh, the blood moons, there's going to be a blood moon on Tuesday. And people are saying, oh, this is going to be bad. It's a blood moon. 
forget about the blood moons, the books about blood moons, just forget about it. It's this idea just to sell books. It's just the moon going through its phases, but they think, oh, it's going to be really bad. And, and some conservatives are saying, it's going to be really bad for the Democrats. And Democrats are saying, oh, it's going to be really bad for the Republicans. It's just like people are getting offended left and right, and it's in your face. It's poking the finger there. You know who Elon Musk is? You know him, right? He just bought that Twitter he calls himself the chief twit, is what he calls himself. <clears throat> That's his handle on uh, Twitter. Well, all the, these people that support, through their advertising, all these companies, they're withdrawing. They're just going away. AT&T and all of them that have been advertising on there, they're saying, we're not doing it. They are succumbing to those who are offended that write them letters and say, you need to pull your funding because this guy's going to allow, quote, the scary thing called free speech. And they don't want that on Twitter. And, and all of these corporations are coming in and they want to censor what you're saying. Did you hear about the pro-life activists in front of the abortion clinics? And they were reading scriptures and they got arrested and they're being prosecuted for that. For reading scriptures on a sidewalk. But have they arrested anybody for firebombing some of the pregnancy care clinics? No. Not one of them has been arrested. But they are arresting Christians. They don't want you speaking and that's just right around the corner. You know, it's going to come to a neighborhood close to you. So next Tuesday, it is election day. Guess what Wednesday is? Start of the presidential election season. Guess what you're going to hear for the next two years? Yeah, you kind of, oh, man. Well, you're going to hear it on every newscast. You know, the, the liberal media is going to have something every single day, probably just donate all of their time to that. And by the way, did you hear, and I'm going to talk about some candidates here. You hear DeSantis is not running in 2024. He came out and said that. And, you know, you have people that are on the conservative side of politics. You have... DeSantis. I love DeSantis. The guy's a saint. It's in his name. DeSantis. Santos. Saint. The guy's a saint. He, he, you know, he's a boy scout to the max and he doesn't back down from a fight. He was in the JAG and the military for the SEAL teams, which are there. The guy in Harvard and yeah, I mean, he's just it. That, he's the guy. And then you look at Carrie Lake. I was talking to somebody about Carrie Lake and the guy said to me, I would never marry that woman, you know, because it, it, that woman could just destroy a guy. She's so good at what she's doing. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, which is out there, and, and I think it's Matt Getz and you, uh, Jordan, uh, what's his name? Jim Jordan, who is there. You look at all these people and I think they're fighting for what is right. Now, are they all perfect? No, they're not. And we're not electing a Messiah. We're not doing that. Are some of these candidates, do they say things that are offensive? Yes. They speak, speak truth to that which is not true. And the ones who are speaking that are saying things that aren't true are offended. They don't want you speaking. That's why they take down these comments on the social medias, on the high-tech platforms. And Google, you know, they're taking down stuff that people would say that are on the conservative side. And they're promoting things which are, quote-unquote, liberal 
or progressive. I'm going to call it leftist. It is Marxist to the core. If you don't know anything about Marxism, you need to look it up. Karl Marx was a demon-possessed man, and the, the man should never been uh, on the face of the earth. He was just horrible individual. I've read certain things about him, a couple of things, biographies and such that have been written about him, and, and the man is just horrible. And people are saying, no, it's good, it's good. No, they're t- trading the truth for lies and placing lies for truth. And it's happening every single day. Like, for instance, a little parenthetical thought. Do you know that on the fetal monitors that was created by a bunch of white guys to have the sound like there is a heartbeat, there actually is no heartbeat? Was it Stacey Abrams that said that? It's like, wait, really? And people believe that? If people believe that, where are we headed as a nation? So I'm going back and look at the scripture. Is it necessary that we say things from the lectern, from the pulpit, from the Bible studies about elections? Because, you know, there is this divide even in Christendom that you should not say anything political from the pulpit. I don't believe that, obviously. I think the pulpit is the place to make the case. Is there a biblical case where people have done that in the past? Oh, yeah. John the Baptist lost his head over speaking against Herod Antipas. Said, you should not have your brother Philip's wife. He was dealing with the morality of the leader. Said, you are in error. And he lost his head because he spoke to the people in authority. Now, there was no such thing as democracy back then. But if it would have been a democracy and it would have been a president, he would have said the same thing. Well, what about Daniel? Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he chose to disobey the laws of the land that were instituted because it violated what God's word has to say. And they passed this law because the other satraps, the other wise men, so to speak, in the area of Babylon, they didn't like Daniel because he is Mr. Goody Two Shoes, Mr. Holier Than Thou, and they wanted to throw him to the lions. And so they had the king pass a law, and that law said, you can only pray to King Darius. And if you don't pray to him, then you'll be killed and so Daniel heard about the edict what did he do he went home opened his doors towards Jerusalem started praying and they go oh guilty they were so offended and they threw him into the lion's den of course we know the story about that well what about Nehemiah Nehemiah got this commission from the king to go and work on the walls around Jerusalem. And then you had Sanballat and Tobiah. They're saying, oh, no, you can't be doing this. We're going to write letters and we're going to stop this work from going. Just opposing it. And they were the Arabic portion of the the, uh, land there. And they were opposing Jerusalem being rebuilt. And he stood up and said, I'm sorry, we're going to do this. Not only that, but we're going to have people standing there with swords. If you're on the outside and you come at us, we're going to kill you, is what he said. So he opposed the leaders in the area. What about Nathan the prophet in Bathsheba with King David? Nathan went to David and told him, you know, there's this guy, he had this little ewe lamb, that's all he had, but this other guy who had a bunch of sheep, he went and took the ewe lamb and sacrificed it and ate it and fed it to his guest. What should be done with that man? And David said, that man ought to die. And Nathan said, you are the man. You did that. You took Bathsheba. And so Nathan spoke against King David and King David knew it and the baby died as a result of judgment which came upon him. Or what about Elijah the Tishbite? Tishbite means he came from the land of Tishbe. It's around the Sea of Galilee, a little north there. He spoke against Queen Jezebel. 
Jezebel. Man, never name a child Jezebel. That's a little counsel for you there. If you just read about Jezebel and the wickedness that she performed on several different levels, and he came in and said, you are not to do this. God's curse be upon you. I'm giving Bill's version of the Old Testament here. But that's basically what was said. And of course, Jezebel, uh, when she was thrown out the window, she landed on the ground. They went to bury her, but nothing was left except, I think, her head and her hands because the dogs had eaten her and so he spoke against and then what the big guy from the old testament moses went right into pharaoh said oh we gotta go and god's telling me to tell you to let us go and you better do it if you don't do it you're gonna have all these plagues to deal with so is there a president the precedent from the old testament and new testament that we are supposed to speak against the powers that be in this earth if they are going to a direction that is immoral Absolutely, we're to open up our mouths. Might we be persecuted? Might we lose our head? Might we be boiled in oil? Well, all of those things are possible. But we have an inheritance someplace where we're going to go. Now, getting back to this politics, you know, there's the big T, Trump, which is out there. Uh, The news is that he's going to run. Now, is he offensive to a lot of people? (laughs) No question. I mean, it's... And and there was something that I read this morning that is like, now you didn't have to do that, right? You know who Ron DeSantis is? Well, you know how he likes to give nicknames out there? Little hands, who's that? Mario Rubio, right? Uh, Low energy, Jeb Bush. He he, he gives names, crooked Hillary, you know, he does things like that. Well, Ron DeSantis has a new name. Now, not that Ron DeSantis has actively been going against Trump, but I thought, well, that was just unnecessary. What did he say? He calls Ron DeSantis Ron DeSanctimonious, is what he calls him. And I thought, now I'm offended. Why why would you do that? This guy's a Boy Scout and a saint, and you're going against him. But, you know, when, when it comes to the election, and I believe all of us should be voting, I think we have a moral obligation to do so but Trump is probably going to declare that he's running on November 14th that the word's getting out there DeSantis is not going to run who is he going to get as a running mate maybe Carrie Lake I like her Uh, she's good I don't know if that's going to be it it's not going to be the previous vice president I can guarantee you that Uh, but he, he's going to run. Now, there is going to be offenses all over the place. Do I think Trump is a saint? No, I think he is a sinner. I think that guy is just a sinner to the core, like all of us. And I was having a discussion with somebody about him. And they came up to me and they said, you know, I'm no longer a Trump guy. I said, really? Are you a Biden guy now? And he was, well, No. And I said, you know, I don't vote for the person because I know every person that is in there is evil and wicked. Even Mr. DeSaint, he's wicked and evil. And his wife, too, who seems so cute and pretty and all of that. And their family, they're the perfect family. But they're all sinners. And we're not voting for a Messiah. Now, the only thing I like is the track record, the issues. Are they going to be offensive at some point? Yeah, they are. Always, they are. 
But we get, as Christians, we get into this point where we get offended by what's out there. We take our toys and we go home. I'm not voting. How many times have you heard that? I know somebody who said, uh, an older person, said they haven't voted since they killed JFK. And said, I'm never voting again. Okay, well, you know, remember what Edmund Burke said. You've heard me say it numerous times. All that is necessary for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And so if you don't vote, evil will succeed. It is a process that you have to be active in and moving forward. And so if Trump runs and he gets the party nomination, will I vote for him? Yes. But the people that I had, I had two conversations. One said, oh, I just can't vote for him. I said, oh, wait. So the lowest unemployment rate amongst Hispanics and blacks and the economy was roaring and the world was having peace treaty deals all over the world. And I I started naming several different things that were going on. I said, name one thing that went bad policy-wise. Nothing. And I said, well, what about Biden? How many things have gone bad policy-wise? Everything. There's not one single thing that is good. And it's going to get worse. I'm just telling you, I could talk to you about interest rates and what that does with inflation and all that, but I'm going to avoid that. So would I vote for him? Yes. Am I voting for him in his sarcastic rants that he goes on? No. Do I enjoy the fight sometimes? Oh, yeah. It's good. Just like all of these people, the questions that get asked, like uh, Katanji Brown or whatever her name is, the Supreme Court Justice was asked, what's a woman? I don't know. I'm not a bio. Are you kidding me? You can't say what a woman is or what a man is? That's where Matt Walsh comes in. And I like listening to Matt Walsh because he just, he goes right for the juggler. If you don't know who Matt Walsh is, just look up what is a woman. And he's the guy that does that. It's pretty enlightening. So have I offended anybody yet? I might have. But the people that are out there that are talking to me about this stuff, I'm going to go right in and say, if you are being offended, you are being narcissistic, get beyond the offense, whether it is the man who gets his legume tree cut down and he has to go work and that's what he should have been doing all the time. Or if it's this idea of being on the freeway and being offended by the guy who never got caught wanting justice for him. You know, Jesus went to the people that killed him. He sent Peter and John to those people wanting them to be saved. That's grace. Would you have grace for that man in that white SUV that caused a 72-year-old man to die, to perish? There's wicked things in this world all over the place. But we are to stand for truth, not be self-centered and reach out and not be so offended by everything that might come up. Now, both political leaders and church leaders, both men and women, we need to examine the words that they say and the actions that they take. If we don't do that, we are being disingenuous as believers because you guys know Acts 17.11 the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. They received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. And so they were examining and we're supposed to take that examination and also put it on the world and the political system. Are they doing what is right? Is this the thing that we're supposed to hold ourselves to because the Bible does? Or are we supposed to avoid this particular thing because the Bible does? And then in the church, you know, the doctrines that can be so mind-numbingly debated You just go on and on and on with some of these doctrines which are there. And there's disagreements on both sides and people get offended on both sides. Just a few of those would be like the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. 
denominations just split over that. And we don't have to split over that. Of course, we have our own desires and our own preferences and churches, and that's great. Or what about eschatology? Some people, I was just listening to R.C. Sproul and saying the Antichrist was actually Nero. And the Catholic Church, uh, the Pope was called the Antichrist as well. And, and just all this stuff that he holds to, he's a preterist, not a full preterist, a partial preterist. And I'm thinking, no, that's, that's not a good doctrine. But I, I've been to a Ligonier conference with R.C. Sproul. I, I like his stuff on holiness and some other subjects that he deals with. He's great. He's no longer with us. He's gone on to be with the Lord. But we're not supposed to have that type of rancor between us. You know, when it comes to eschatology... It's like I can't even spell Armageddon, and I just say, "Don't worry, it's not the end of the world." You know, and then we go on with church government. Like, what kind of government is supposed to be in the church? You have the Presbyterian Church, where all the Presbyterian elders are up there, and they each have one vote about what happens with the church. You go to the Baptist Church, and everybody in the church has one single vote of what is supposed to take place. You come to a Calvary Chapel; it's the Moses model. The Moses model is. Moses was to, supposed to find out what God wants. God came, or Moses came back and he told the priest and the Levites and they disseminated it to the people and the elders and that's how it was happened. Uh, is that a lot of authority in the hands of one man? Yeah, but I've never done anything here that hasn't been unanimous. We just have to say, well, that's the way we do it. Now, will there be, has there been, a, well, I can take that back. There has been a couple of times in the past where I would do things here being under the Moses model of government. One of them was, and I'm going to tell you what one was. When the church first started, the women in the church, love the women in the church, they're great, they're wonderful, they're saints. A group of them had gone off to the side and there was a couple of women that were leading the women's ministry and the ones off to the side, they wanted to have a say in what the women's ministry was doing. People approached me and said, these other women over here want to have a say in what's being done in the women's ministry. And I said, well, if they get involved in the women's ministry, they can have all the say they want. But if they're not involved in the women's ministry, no. And because I said that, there were some problems because I said that with the women and their husbands. After that, because the women told their husbands. And so it's a problem. You know, and, and so there were things that I felt, no, don't muzzle the ox that treads the corn. And if somebody is ahead of a ministry, give them the ministry. That's what you're supposed to do biblically. And of course, politics got into it. You know, I think it's morality. It's not politics. And how about uh, the nature of forgiveness? They're all over the place as far as the nature of forgiveness. Like the guy who's in the vehicle that caused the wreck and the road rage. Do you say about that person, just forgive him? Or does he need to come and say, will you forgive me? There's a whole debate about that. Or what about the woman's role in the church? Should women be pastors, not be pastors? Can they be elders? Can they be deaconesses? That is just, you know, if you follow the literal uh, surface interpretation of scripture, all the ladies have to have a covering on their head. And if a man has long hair, He's a disgrace. That's 
New Testament, isn't it? I remember a couple of guys saying, it says what it says. Yeah, but you've got to interpret what it says properly in context. By the way, if you want to wear a hat in church, that's fine. If you're a man, you want to have long hair, that's fine. That's okay. I'm not going to put restrictions on you that are not in the scripture. What about raising children? If my generation, we knew what the belt was. We knew what the paddle was. Even in schools, the schools knew what the paddle was. Today, you would be arrested and you'd be thrown into a concentration camp for re-education. That's what would take place if you spank your child for any reason. And what about salvation? How do you get saved? Is it by faith? Do you have to have some works in that? You see, all of these things, we're supposed to be examining this. And call out where it's wrong. Call out where it's in error. Both in the church and outside the church. Does that mean you're supposed to be opinionated? Yes. You're supposed to be opinionated. Do you have to be offensive in your opinion? No. Is your opinion going to be offensive anyhow? Yes, it will be. And so this is how we're supposed to live. These Pharisees, they were offended and they committed great error in their offense. And we want to make sure we're, don't, we're not doing that. Now, the people that were a part of that, part of making the offense, they were the plebes, so to speak. The plebes were the commoner or the lower caste in the Roman society. The plebes, quote-unquote, that the leaders of the Jews would consider the masses of the people, they heard what Peter and John were saying, and they were struck to the heart. They didn't know exactly what to do. But Peter, after indicting the people for their ignorance or their willful, um, not willful, uh, I have to think of the word, their idea that they didn't want to hold on to the truth and they were cut to the heart. They, they had tremendous guilt. Well, Peter provided a remedy for that. And it's in verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus So what are they supposed to repent of? We know that they're supposed to repent of their unbelief, their ignorance, or their ignoring of the information that they all knew. On one week, one side of the week, they were praising him. Hosanna in the highest. On the next week, they said, or the end of the week, they said, crucify him. And so they they chose to take the information that they had, and they ignored it, and they said, we need to kill this guy because the leaders say, we need to kill this guy. Now, for me, this, this is amazing love that Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, would go to the masses and tell them, you can repent and God will forgive you for this murderous act that you have done. Now, I'm a pastor and I have a hard time with grace. I, I tell myself what the scripture says because my flesh doubts, right? You're like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And the Lord comes along and says, I know you're not worthy. I know you're not good enough. Not only are you not good enough, you are wicked. Not only are you wicked, but you're harmful to yourself and everyone else around you. I hope your self-esteem is intact. But that's the idea. That's, that's what the scripture tells us, the sinfulness of the human race. That's where we are. And Jesus says, it's okay. I died for that. I'm going to cover that. Well, what after you're saved and you sin and the guilt comes in? 
that's okay. He died for that. Not that the sin's okay, but that you have this avenue where God says, it's all right because I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my mercy. And I think, no, my performance though is so poor and you still give me your grace and you still give me your mercy. This is just almost beyond my grasp, but I know what scripture says and I'm holding on to the scriptures. And so this morning, you know, if you're dealing with this or let's just say you've had an offense and we have all been offended at some time or another. There's going to be offenses all over the place on the media for the next two years. And it's probably going to be difficult at times. And when those offenses come, we need to examine Are we like the guy that is offended because my tree was cut down, which kept me where I needed to be in my own mind and not where I really should have been working? Or is it like I'm going to hold on to this offense because I'm being self-centered because I don't want to be injured. I don't want to be insulted like the Pharisees. And I think... I think you guys understand what scripture says. We repent. We say, Lord, if there's some criticism here that I need to accept, help me to receive it. And if there's not, water off a duck's back. Thank you for the information. I'm just going to let this roll off my back. You don't tell that to the person, but you simply say, you know, I'll examine it. I'll see if that, that is true in my life. And we can do that. And when we do that, we are humble and the Lord can instruct us is what we're doing right or what we're doing wrong? And we know that because we're in the scriptures. Now with all of this, Jesus died for us, died for the layman, died for the people that witnessed this miraculous healing. And where did he go? Straight to heaven. The ascension. We saw that in Acts chapter 1. And verse 21 says, He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. What holy prophets said that he's going to come and restore all things? Well, you have so many passages in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you one. Isaiah chapter 61. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities and have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and your vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so... They will inherit a double portion in their land and everlasting joy will be theirs. Now, if you go back, you guys remember who Mark Twain was? Mark Twain visited Israel in his life. That was the last century. And he went to the Sea of Galilee. And when he saw it, he said, a solemn, sailless, tintless lake as unpoetical as any bathtub on earth. You think he thought the Sea of Galilee was pretty? He didn't. He also said this. There is not a solitary village throughout its whole extent, not for 30 miles in either direction. There are two or three small clusters of Bedouin tents, but not a single permanent habitation. One may ride 10 miles hereabouts and not see 10 human beings. You go there today? Oh, 
you know, I've been up in the northern reaches as you can get on the Golan Heights and look towards Damascus and they have avocado fields and water is bubbling out of the ground like 5,000 gallons a minute and it's flowing down and it's Caesarea Philippi and they export flowers and vegetables all over the Middle East. I think they're the number one exporter of flowers. The high-tech industry is huge there. It's massive. You know, the antennas on the Nokia uh, phones that they used to have, that's Israel and they do a lot of chips and phones and things like that in Israel. It's a big high-tech center. It is wealthy there. Beyond your wildest imagination, wealth has come to the cities of Israel. You go down to Elat. Elat is down there as you would cross over to Jordan and see Petra. It's right at the Red Sea there. There are palatial hotels. And when I was there, it was about a decade ago. They were palatial back then and the spreads of food that would be out there. You look at the place, you go, whoa! And it's a resort town down there. Just marvelous things that are taking place in Israel. And God is causing Israel to rebud. And he says, I'm staying in heaven until everything is fulfilled. Then I'm coming back. Well, when is he coming back? We already know that the rapture is going to take place, but we don't know what day. But his second coming, I would submit to you, we do. At least within 75 days. We know when he's coming back. How do you know that? Well, that's in Daniel chapter 12. And it talks about 1,290 days. Then it talks about 1,335 days. And this is at the end of the tribulation period. We know he's coming back somewhere in there. He's coming back to rule and reign with us on a white horse. And on his sides, there's king and kings and lord and lords on his thighs. And he's going to restore all things. But until then, we're going to be offended. We're going to be falling into sin. We're going to have to call upon his grace and we're going to learn from his word how to act in this life, not only outside the church, but inside the church. That would, it would be what I would leave with you, that God gave us the grace to do this. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be mature. He wants, to, uh, wants us to evaluate what's taking place politically, culturally in the church and stand up for what's right. May God give you the grace to do that. May he give you the tongue and the mind to speak when we should speak and be silent when we should be silent. Now, with the sacrifice of Jesus, we recognize communion here. And what we're going to do is I'm going to go over and Patty's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. And during that song, if there's some sin you need to ask forgiveness for, ask forgiveness. That's what the communion is all about, that we recognize we have a Savior who forgives us. And it's because of his sacrifice. Now, we're going to do the same thing as we always do. Uh, the lights are going to go down. Wait for the song to be played. And then the rows, you come up the center and go back around the side. And then Pat is going to come up and he's going to pray for the bread and the cup. And maybe say a few words about that. And we'll all participate in receiving the cup and, uh, and the bread together. So let's do that.